Today's show is brought to you by Facebook. Over the past year, Facebook has been no stranger to the conversation happening around fake news. Get an inside look at what the company's doing to fight against misinformation with Facebook's new short film, Facing Facts. Watch at InsideFeed.com. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm speaking to you from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. I won't be here for long, though. We're about to go to California to Rancho Palos Verdes, site of the 2018 Code Conference, where we talked to many awesome people. It was a great event. If you missed it, I have good news for you. You're going to be able to hear it all right here and over at Kara Swisher's podcast, Recode Decode. Before we start that, though, one quick ask. Tell someone else about this show. See? Easy. Thanks. Okay, here's an interview from Code Conference, which I produce with Recode's Kara Swisher. Here's an interview Kara and I did with Daniel Eck. He's the CEO of Spotify. Built that streaming music company up from nothing. Everyone told him he should stop doing it. I'm probably one of those people who said he should stop doing it. He took this company public. It's very successful. This is the first interview he's done since taking that company public. We had a lot to talk about. Kara's going to have to lean over now. No, I'll be all right. Normally, when we bring up a publicly traded media company CEO, we talk to him on this stage about Roseanne Barr. Right. Let's mix things up. Let's talk about R. Kelly. Sure. Kara, <laughs> do you know who R. Kelly is? I do. I actually do. What's your favorite R. Kelly song? I don't know. Recently, you guys said, you did, this wasn't an R. Kelly ban, but you said there's a bunch of artists that we don't like because of their personal behavior. We don't want to promote them. R. Kelly was one of them. There's a rapper whose name I cannot pronounce. I'm not going to try to. Um, there's a lot of furor about that. You recently changed those decisions. Can you explain why you made the first decision and, and what, why you made the second decision? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, if you just take two steps back and kind of look at what it is we try to accomplish, I think we're now at a point where we're obviously a material part of the music industry. We have three million artists on the platform. We have 170 million consumers using this. And as a platform, one of the key things that we believe in uh, is just being transparent. Um, and I think it's something that uh, more and more platforms are waking up about and thinking a lot more about. We're talking about that. Yeah. And, and so what we really just wanted to do was just be transparent about it. And there's two pieces specifically um, that we rolled out. One was about hate speech. Um, and I think that's sort of less controversial. And then there's the other one about uh, conduct. And I think just being very honest, we... we uh, we were very vague, um, and we were just... And, and just to be clear, you said you're not banning people from being on Spotify, right? Right. Yeah, can right. I be a Nazi or someone who abuses women and be on Spotify? Well, you know, again... Or both? Uh, well, well, yeah, um, probably not so much. Well, I mean, again, the, the whole goal with, with this was just to make sure that we didn't have hate speech uh, on the service. It was never about punishing one individual artist or even naming one individual artist as well. So I think, you know, and, and, and coming back to it, it's really kind of my responsibility as a leader. And I think we uh, rolled this out uh, wrong, and we could have done a much better job. Wrong how? It. Wrong in that? 
Well, I, I just think we could have handled the communication. I, there's um, too much ambiguity in, in terms of, of how people interpreted this. And as, as you said, people thought that they couldn't be on the service, which was, of course, never the intent. I, I kind of liked it when I first heard about it. I mean, I know the labels were all complaining, and how do you figure out if this abusive person can be on or this one? But I, mm -hmm. I liked it as, in contrast to YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and platforms yeah. Karen and I spent a lot of time talking to, and they would sort of shrug their shoulders and say, hey, what are you going to do? And you guys said, hey, we actually want to make a decision. But it seems like you backtracked a bit. Well, again, I, I, I think the, the key point here is what we were trying to go after was just really around hate speech. It wasn't to go after being a moral police about who did right, who did wrong. Um, and, you know, um, you get into really tricky things such as has this person actually been charged with something? Have they actually been convicted of something, et cetera, et cetera. And that was never the goal. I mean, we're, we're a platform where we want art. We want to express a lot of diverse opinions. We don't want to be the judge and the moral police of that. We'll talk about that just a little bit, and then we'll get into your business. Um, what's wrong with values? I, I, I don't quite, I have a lot of arguments with Silicon Valley people. I'm like, the reason you don't like values is it make, you have to make decisions about things, and you have to make choices, and you have to piss people off sure. and make statements of values. What is, why, what is that in tech that values are such a problem, like that they don't want to state them, which they have, by the way? Well, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with having values, but I also think you know, being a platform from being an editorial-driven service is something totally different. And I think in our case, the reality is, as I said, we have three million artists, and what we wanted to be was just transparent. We didn't want to get into a, a, a position about talking about who gets to do exactly what or what, what the situation is on Spotify. There are certain things which I think the rules um, uh, should be pretty clear about it. That should be, um, you know, if, if you are uh, talking about being KKK and doing that kind of stuff, I think it's pretty obvious that we don't want you on the service. Was this something you were pushing for or did it come up from your organization? Uh, it, it was a debate that we had internally at the company. It's uh, something that we keep on discussing. And I think, again, the, one of the core values of the company is just being transparent and driving that agenda. Another core value that we have is to iterate uh, as we get feedback. And this has been one of those things where we got a lot of feedback from a lot of different advocacy groups about um, us being vague. And you know, so we're clearly listening to people and taking that input. Do you think you're different than Silicon Valley companies? You're, you're, you started the company in Sweden, you moved it to London. In the US, your big office is New York, not California. Do you, do you think that you operate the company differently than an American tech company? I, th I think so, but I, I think that's just natural based on the environment we're in. Um, I mean, you know, being Swedish myself and, and uh, starting the company in Sweden, that's just a very different society than you have here in the U.S. And obviously that's been um, impacting us a great deal. Um, so uh, How so? Well, I mean, just take something like parental leave. Um, you know, one of the things that we realized um, as we started hiring more and more people here in the U.S. was, you know, that, that uh, I think it was like two or three weeks, yeah. uh, if you were parents, that you could take off. And uh, we saw our, our, our employees in Sweden could take six to 12 months off. That just didn't make any sense why that should be different. So we rolled out a global parental leave policy uh, throughout the company uh, where now everyone has, um, you know, six months of paid leave. Uh, <laughs> 
so those types of values for us is really important, and and that's something that you know obviously comes from from being from Sweden. Yeah. Well, Sweden's better. Um, so um, let's, obviously better. Uh, let's talk about the business, about what you're doing. Since you went public, a lot of people, as Peter said, didn't think this was going to happen, that your business was impossible. I've talked to so many, so like they can't, people that consider buying you, uh, people that consider, lots of people consider buying you, but they're like, we can't make money at this. Um, talk a little bit about the public, going public and how you thought about that. Well, I mean, um Going public in and on itself was never a milestone for us, honestly. I, I know that that might be a milestone for some companies, but um, I've always just thought about um, you know, our mission. And our mission has been you know, from, from the beginning to try to build a service that consumer love, where we can get them to um, experience and enjoy more music than they've ever had before, and at the same time compensating artists for that. Um, and, you know, honestly, it's just been what we've been doing now for more than 10 years and what's we're, we keep on building every day. You're still losing money, right? You've lost money your entire, uh, entire time you've been running it. Now, so that's open. It's, it's, all, it's been out there for a while. And, and you have this difficult model where most of the money you come bring in has to go back out to the rights holders. That's mm -hmm. good for them. It makes it very hard to sort of see how you are going to eventually make a profit. I've mm -hmm. talked to you in the past. You said, well, if we stop growing, would be profitable. Is that still the case if you sort of stop marketing, stop trying to grow the business? Yeah, very, very much so. But I also think, um, like, I look at the business uh, maybe from a slightly different perspective uh, in the sense that, you know, I, th I think about our cash flow uh, as one of the primary metrics. And we've been cash flow positive for a bunch of quarters. Um, and um, as long as that's the case, we don't have to go back to the markets and ask them to keep funding the company. So that's been a very important metric of mine. Uh, and as long as we've been having that uh, you know, break even on a cash flow basis or a positive cash flow, uh, we obviously, since we believe that this is the early innings still of, of the music streaming market, uh, want to keep on growing and investing in growth. So talk about your relationship with the, the labels. When you started off, they had all the power. You couldn't run the service without getting them to license you. You had to give them all your money, basically. You're still giving them most of your money, mm -hmm. but now they really need you because you're writing them really big checks every year. Um, but it strikes me there's a fundamental tension between where you guys want to go ultimately, which is having more and more control of the music business, more power, maybe, maybe working with musicians directly, and what happens to them. It seems the more you grow, the more more difficult it's going to be for them. They're fully aware of that. So how, how, are, you guys, how are you guys working out that dynamic? Well, I mean, I, I think that's true in almost any supplier-retailer dynamic, right? You're always there's three of them, so it's tense, right? Sure. I mean, that's one way of looking at it, but we have over 20,000 partners in total on the record label side uh, of just mentioning even the top record label. So there's way more than three, even though that there's three big there's ones. There's three that you like stream 87% yeah. of your, whatever your number is in the filing. It's most, of, most of your business comes from most, most of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so obviously it, it's important, uh, but you know, uh, Procter & Gamble and Unilever are very important for Walmart and other retail businesses as well. So, so I don't think that's uh, in, a, in and of itself is a unique phenomenon. I think the most important thing, though, is I don't view um, you know, us winning uh, being equivalent to them losing. 
I actually think that when I look at the music industry, and one of the things that I talked about during our investor day is how exciting it is for us now to focus on the other side of the marketplace as well. Um, and I still think that there's huge amount of inefficiencies as you think about how hard it is today for an artist to break through. Mm. Um, and we sit there and we have this audience of 170 million people, and the number one thing that they ask us for is help us find more great content. And the number one thing artists are asking us for is obviously find help me find an audience. So we view it that we can play a really important role in connecting the two. And in doing so, and creating more and more tools for labels and artists and managers to work with these tools, I think we can create even um, more interesting business opportunities which makes their marketing budgets more efficient. And that is a- Do you a see that more as a Netflix model? It's almost like, do you see yourself becoming, becoming that? like creating shows or creating artists or? No, well, I mean, it's, it's a popular no? No. comparison that people like to make because yeah. we are both subscription media companies. So, and CFO uh, is the old Netflix CFO. Sure, sure. And I mean, there, there are a lot of similarities, but I think fundamentally when you just view um, the fact that we have uh, 30 million pieces of content and we have 30,000 new um, uh, pieces of content that's being uploaded every single day and we have three million creators, it's a very different platform than Netflix. But you're saying to the artist, hey, we can help you find this audience, and by the way, we own this audience now, what do you have, 70 million paid subscribers? Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna bring you to those people, we're essentially becoming radio, a really big part of the traditional music label's job is we're gonna bring your music, we're gonna write you a check, but then really what we're gonna do is find you people, we're gonna, we're gonna get you on radio, we're gonna sure. put you in stores, and it seems like what you're doing long-term is taking a lot of those jobs that a record label used to do, taking it on yourself, and if you're an artist, you're gonna have to think more and more about why you're work, signing up with the label instead of just working with you guys directly. Well, I mean, I, I think that's the bird's eye view of what a label is. Uh, I think the reality, as in with many businesses, like the best labels that I see are service businesses. They partner very, very deeply with artists. Uh, they're around, they help with A&R, they put them together with great producers. Uh, it's more than just the actual marketing piece of it. Uh, it's about booking shows, it's about the right collaborations. There's so many aspects of making it in an artist today. I don't think any of that goes away. I think that there are certain elements that we can bring efficiency and use the things that's honestly been around the internet for a decade plus in terms of tools and data and knowledge and bring that to the music industry uh, and make, make uh, being a label more efficient and make being an artist more efficient. And I like to think that the way that's gonna be played out is that there's a bigger opportunity for us to, to grow our pie, obviously. Um, and I think labels in and on itself can operate more efficiently, which means that they should be able to also uh, in the end, increase what we pay out to artists. So I want to talk about adjacent businesses that you're looking into, but uh, but first, uh, your competitors. Right now, you consider it's got to be Apple, correct? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of people in music uh, that's competing. Right. We got uh, YouTube, we got Apple, we got Amazon, we got all of the big ones in this space. And for me, that's that's not strange. I mean, there's there's very, very few opportunities uh, that a billion plus people around the world care deeply about. Music is one of those things. So naturally, 
uh, all the big platform companies are going to be uh, interested in this space. Um, so yeah, we, we compete with a lot of them. Who do you think about the most of those that you look at? Uh, honestly, I, I don't focus as much. I think this is like one of those things, well, surely you must think about it. And I get the question a lot from people externally, but you'd be surprised if you sat in on our management meetings or sat in on the company, how little we actually talk about competition. Most of the time, what we talk about is what we're seeing in the market, what we're seeing in terms of what customers are telling us, what we're seeing in terms of what artists are telling us. Um, and frankly, they don't talk that much about competition. There's, there's competition, and then there's also competition that owns the hardware that you need to be on for it to work, and you fought with Apple in the past, back and forth. It seems like you guys have reached a detente. But I, I think it's really amazing that either you were able to sort of fight your way in the position you're in, or they let you do it willingly or unwillingly. I mean, did, how did you think about that when you were, again, were at zero and you were trying to get on the iPhone and Apple wasn't really excited about that? You had to sort of force your way into that platform. Well, I, I, I don't know whether we had to force our, our way into the platform, but uh, I, I think at, at the end of it, um, you know, we've always tried to do what's right for customers, and we've always tried to be um, at the forefront of that. So we've been trying to innovate, and luckily enough, we were in a position where um, the App Store came along, and uh, we took advantage of that and, and was one of the earliest apps on the app platform. Hey, it's Peter again, back to thank some of the sponsors who are bringing the show to you for free. You're welcome. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Facebook. If you've been watching the news or reading the paper during the past few months, you know that Facebook has been a part of the national conversation happening around fake news and the spread of misinformation on the internet. Directed by Morgan Neville, the short film Facing Facts provides an inside look at how Facebook is working on this complex issue. This 12-minute piece goes behind the scenes at Facebook's headquarters to reveal what the company is thinking about and how it's working to get ahead of this complicated problem. The film is a unique way for you to learn more about the issue directly from the people who work on it every day. Get an inside look at Facebook's fight against misinformation. Watch the film at insidefeed.com. There's a big boom in, in the home speaker market, right? Amazon, primarily Google, Apple trying to catch up. What kind of usage are you seeing from connected home speakers? It's growing. It's still not as big as, as we in the tech circles seem to, to make it. Um, Mobile's your dominant thing, right? Mobile is certainly a super platform compared to, to everything else. But uh, it's, it's super exciting. And I mean, this is a space where, honestly, if you looked at the home, um, Besides Sonos, there wasn't really a lot of innovation uh, in the space, and now there's kind of a renewed interest in the home, in speakers, in getting people, and people are going out in droves and buying these uh, devices, which is really phenomenal. And I think once it starts permutating for real, it just adds another moment in which people will listen to even more music than they're already on the on the Spotify platforms. Sure. Let's talk about adjacent businesses, um, video. What what a lot of people? What are you doing in that area right now? How do you look at it? Because you've added podcasts, you've added mm -hmm. other things. Well, um, the primary video offering that we have today is um, we have our our flagship brands like Rap Caviar, um, Viva Latino, uh, as an example there. And one of the things that um, our label partners and creators asked us to do was simply just say, "Hey, uh, can we do more storytelling on your platform?" And can uh, we do what we do on some of the other platforms, put up our music videos. 
So what we started doing was developing videos uh, that we thought would fit our platform. Um, and now we've started opening that up more wider so that more and more creators can actually post videos onto the platform um, as well. Um, and that's been growing pretty nicely for us. This is a, that's a later version of it, because at one point you guys were talking to people about actually doing sort of your own OTT service. Mm -hmm. A few years ago you said we're going to do short form videos mm -hmm. and stuff from Comedy Central. Sure. Um, you're really good at audio. Why do you keep playing with video? What's the advantage for you? Well, I, so, so here's how I think about it. I mean, internet is an audio-visual interactive medium. Uh, so to not use all of the properties of the medium just doesn't make sense to me. Now, what we have to do is we have to try to get it right for our platform and for what consumers want. I do think over time, uh, video will be a more important um, part of our platform than maybe what it is today. Um, but, you know, we are a company that try a lot of things. So we try to tend to do, unlike many others, try to do a quite ambitious thing even at the beginning and then maybe scale back and then kind of roll out an iteration of that. And we went in video way too fast, way too early. Uh, what we instead kind of went back to was to go to our roots, which is music, do that really well, uh, going from that base. But I don't think you should think about us as like a primary video platform or that's where our interest is. We're primarily an audio platform. And what excites me about being that is just, if you think about the world right now, like it seems like everyone is competing over the attention in video. And obviously it is for the obvious reason that it's a trillion dollar market. Right, uh, it's four hours of people's time per day. So it's a pretty massive opportunity. But what I think people get wrong about what the space we're in is that um, at a very, very basic sense, if people are competing for your eyes, what we're competing about is your ears. It's a different sense. It's three hours of people's day. Right now, depending on how you view that space, if you would factor in the music industry and you factor in the radio industry, it's a $100 billion industry. And the question then you can ask yourself is like, is your eyes worth 10 times more than your ears? I don't think so. So I, I actually think, you know, that's a space that will grow. Wait, if you're, wait is your eyes worth 10 times more? Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's what the market right. is right now, right? right. It's right. a trillion dollar versus the ears that's worth maybe so 100 billion. So your podcasts are undervalued. I see that, okay, good. Yes. I like that, I like yeah. where you're going. Yeah. All right, so talk about that, the getting into podcasts and, and other audio. Yeah, well, this is the amazing thing about being a platform, you know. Um, we honestly uh, put out this platform with the intent of music, and what ends up happening is most of it, of course, is music, but people tend to upload other things. So what started happening is we started getting more and more podcasts on the platform. Uh, and then we started getting customers complaining why uh, our podcast app didn't work that well as other podcast um, apps worked. Uh, so we kind of looked at that and we started fixing some very basic things like, you know, getting uh, the ingestion up in time, making sure that you can actually um, get notified when there's a new episode, some pretty basic stuff. And people got very excited and started spending a lot more time. And so then more people started uploading podcasts. And, 
you know, full circle now, probably six, seven months later as we're doing that and it's growing like crazy. And we're, we're finding ourselves in more and more of these conversations and realizing that actually, you know what? A lot of the problems that we solve for the music industry, like monetization, like data, like all of these things, it's essentially the same building blocks that we've already been building. And that's super exciting to us. And how big a business do you imagine it to be? I don't know, and I think it's like really early on. But as, as I said before, I, like the whole space um, in and on itself is at least a hundred billion dollar opportunity, probably a lot more than that. You have a billion of that? I would like that. that. That would be fine with me. But but it, it is interesting how people because Apple really does dominate that completely, almost completely, from our perspective at least. It's it's big, but it's also the platform. I'm, I mean, that's been around uh, since the inception of the word even. Yeah. Um, so I mean, they innovated, they, have, they created the category, but not much have happened to the medium in the last 15 years, and that's the exciting thing for us. Kara's asking about adjacent businesses. Periodically there's reports that you guys are looking at hardware. Do you want to build your own devices, and what kind of devices are you looking at? Right. Well, I mean, uh, we are a platform company, and what we want to do is as simple as connecting our um, artists with fans. Now, every now and then, uh, we do innovate and we do experiment on it. Uh, and what you're probably referring to is in the car space. Uh, but even in, in home in, its, in and of itself, we actually do already create hardware. This is a little known fact that most people don't know about it, because the way we did most of our early partnerships and how we got into most of these devices, it turned out that the easiest way uh, to start getting our software in there um, ended up being actually producing the chipset itself. So we've actually been doing that for probably well over so your chips years. and on people's devices. Mm -hmm. And then the car product you're talking about is what? Well, I mean, again, uh, the way we work with cars, as an example, is it's a three-pronged strategy. The first one is to su support Bluetooth, um, which pretty straightforward. We have tens of millions of people um, listening to Spotify in the cars. Uh, the other one is through your phone tethering. Uh, that's um, Android Auto and uh, Apple CarPlay, uh, where we're part of both of those platforms. And then the third one is direct integration with um, car, manufacturers. car manufacturers. And that's you know the third part of where we also do very integrated stuff. As those well. are all chip and software. Do you what he's talking about? Would you make a device because you know? Amazon's a platform company, Google's mm -hmm. a platform company. They all have Apple's, well, Apple's a device company. Sure. Facebook's making their Facebook's own devices. Facebook's making their sure. own devices. Well, I, I don't rule it out, but I think the most important part, it's not our business. Our business is in uh, creating a service in which we get consumers upon and we make money either through advertising or subscription. If we do things, it is to enable that service. It isn't to be in the hardware selling business. Last question I have, and then we'll get to questions from the audience. How is it being a public company CEO? Well, what, were you, uh, what have you been surprised by? Well, you know, I, I think the uh, biggest surprise was probably when we did our first quarter announcement. You know, we, we went out with guidance and I uh, felt pretty good about it. Uh, you know, having set the guidance 10 days before the quarter closed, that we would hit the numbers, and uh, we did. Uh, but we got penalized for it. Um, and I think the, the guess from people was obviously that, hey, they should beat the expectation. They thought you were lowballing it. Yeah, But exactly. you, you've got a guy who used to, again, be the CFO for Netflix. Didn't he tell you, hey, they're going to expect this? Or did he think the same thing? 
No, I think we both kind of thought that, you know, uh, sure, uh, analysts will make up their own um, assumptions, but at the end of the day, one of the things that was really important to us, uh, coming back to this value about transparency, was, um, you know, you can, as a public company, either do what a lot of, especially tech companies do, and don't issue any guidance and let the analysts figure it out themselves. But we wanted to be transparent about what we thought about the business. And um, we also said very early on that our goal was to do exactly what we said we were going to do. Not more, not less. Yeah, that's your mistake, but be go ahead. Before we, <laughs> before we go to the audience, on, on the IPO thing, you, you did this novel IPO. It's not really an IPO, it's a direct listing. Mm. You didn't exactly cut the banks out, but you really didn't use them in a traditional way. You did a thing that most, really no one's done before. Um, it worked but there was a lot of risk in it and it would have been just easier just to do the traditional banking thing. Why, why go through that effort, go through that uncertainty to do this direct listing? Well, there was really three parts of that uh, that made me um, go in that direction. Um, and um, obviously I had a tremendous amount of help from Barry uh, as well in doing that, which is my CFO. Um, but, but one was about transparency, just like, you know, one, one thing about the traditional process, which was done in the 1970s, is obviously the world has changed a lot. But I, I just, it just didn't sit well with me to put out this document uh, in this day and era when, when information is like this, and you can't comment on it, you can't say anything about it uh, until the moment where you kind of ring the bell and go public. So. Uh, I wanted to see if there was a way to push more transparency so that we could actually be open and could tell the story much differently. The second thing was um, when you really think about it, the whole process uh, obviously openly is supposed to be so that everyone has the same amount of information. Yeah, what actually happens in practice is you do this quiet roadshow and give some people a little bit more information and then you kind of open the doors and you hope that those people will then hold your stock. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted everyone to have exactly the same information. And then thirdly, more importantly, uh, as part of this, um, I, I didn't want to put anyone in a different boat. So most often what happens is that the investors gets to sell early on, um, the employees do not. I did not want that at all. I wanted everyone to have the same opportunity to sell or buy, by the way, day one. Um, and those were the three sort of key reasons why we picked the path we did. Um, and, you know, it, it's, sure, it, it was a risk in the sense that it was different. But um, we had a lot of data and uh, we had a pretty strong indication where it was going. And over, overall, I would say, even if it would have been more volatile in the beginning, um, I don't think that would have changed our decision. Uh, we're trying to build something where we care about where uh, the value will go long term, not what the, the stock will trade day one. Very Swedish of you. Yes, very Swedish. You're stubborn and Swedish. Yeah. All right, questions from the audience? Ms. Rosen. Hi, Daniel. Hillary Rosen. I couldn't let this go when you said that you originally created your policy after the R. Kelly issue as an as a anti-hate speech policy. Um, in fact, didn't Spotify say that you were going to not promote R. Kelly on the, on the platform after several well-researched um, uh, reporting, most recently in the Washington Post, around him being a sexual predator? Harvey Weinstein was never convicted. 
Brett Ratner was never convicted, the head of Sophie who's been fired, multiple people fired from Uber. A lot of people have been, have faced consequences for, for their sexual assault behavior. But R. Kelly isn't because the music industry has been uh, a cloak of darkness here. So I'm wondering, I love Spotify, and when you did that, you continued Spotify being ahead of the industry, being a little bit of an outsider so that people would think you'd act differently. And I'm wondering if now that you backtrack on that, whether you're worried you've lost that moral authority. Oh, good question, question, Hillary Rosen. She used to work for the record industry. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's obviously for other people to judge uh, at the end of the day. Um, I do think, as I said, the spirit with our original policy wasn't about penalizing one individual artist. And in fact, in our blog post, we didn't mention any one single individual artist either. We, um, uh, we spoke about this more from a standpoint of about what kind of uh, content will we have on our platform, um, not you know, set out to make an example of one individual artist in this case. Uh, okay. My question will be a lot easier than that. Um, Daniel, my name's Greg Lawrence. I'm co-founder and CEO of Podium Publishing. We're a digital audiobook publisher. It seems like audiobooks on your platform is a little bit, like has been a bit of an unofficial thing. I'm wondering if you see much of a future for it on your platform. Well, again, um, and this is the amazing thing about having this platform. It's getting used in all of these unintended consequences. Our primary focus, of course, is music. Uh, We're now finding more and more podcast creators um, on the platform. Uh, Once the audiobook category starts growing, I'm sure we'll start investing in making that an even better experience as well. Yeah, Apple's in the space now, and uh, so they're making a big move there, but yeah. Audible, obviously. Hi, Dylan Byers with CNN Pacific. I want to talk about the long-term future of your company. It seems to me like your biggest competitors are three out of the four biggest market cap companies in the world. And you offer a product which is not necessarily offering different content than what they're offering, aside from perhaps the aesthetics or the, uh, the user interface. But fundamentally, the content you're offering is the same, which is a way in which you're very much not like Netflix. You don't have a mobile phone. You don't have home devices. So in the long term, what is to stop Apple, Amazon, Google from basically pushing you out of the market by virtue of the fact that they can bring this music to scale to more people because they invite people to live in a universe, whether that's an Amazon Prime universe or an Apple universe? Well, I I think when when you look at that, um, about the competitive set that we have, I think you can almost universally say that's true about all internet companies that those are exactly the same companies that they're competing against. So I don't think that's uh, a particular thing that's uh, unique to Spotify. The way we think about it, though, is like one of the real important things is that it remains, um, that these platforms remains open. Um, And so we talk a lot about how we extend the debate from net neutrality to being uh, about platform neutrality as well. What we find is that when we compete on equal terms, Uh, with all of these companies, we tend to do pretty well. Um, So that's our focus, is keeping these platforms open because we think it's uh, in the interest of customers and obviously we know that we do well when that's the case. Andrew, real quick. Real quick, last question. 
Hi, Andy Wallenstein with Variety. Daniel, just to go back to the content policy quickly, is it in place right now? Can you clarify the status? Is it amended in any way? Just want to understand. No, not at all. I mean, again, what I want to be clear about is um, I think uh, we, uh, we screwed up how we rolled this out. Uh, we're now taking feedback. We got a lot of comments from a lot of different groups. We're taking feedback. Uh, we're iterating on that just like we would anything else. And, you know, that comes back to the kind of company we are as well. We do things. We take the feedback from the market. And but is the policy still in place? The policy is out there. It's uh, out there on our website. You can read it. Okay. Right. Daniel? Or R. Kelly's talking with you. Huh? Get him off the platform. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, if I ran your company, I'd take him right off. But that's different. But I don't run your company, so there you Here go. Here gets the last word. Daniel, thank you so much for coming. Thank you thank so you. much for having me. All right. Thanks again for listening to this Code Conference special interview. Before we go, one more time, if you like this show, tell someone else about it. You are smart. You know how to do that. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media. They bring those sponsors to you so you can listen to Recode Media for zero dollars, zero cents, free. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show. It does a lot of work. Thanks, Joel. Thanks to my producers, Gold Arthur and Eric Johnson, who also do a lot of work. Everyone's working very hard to bring awesome stuff to you. Thanks to you for listening. We'll be back very soon with more awesome free content. Today's show is brought to you by Facebook. In 2017, Facebook hit more than 2 billion users. And then at the beginning of 2018, Facebook found itself at the center of a broader conversation happening around the spread of fake news on the internet. To help shed some light on the work that goes into the fight against misinformation, Facebook partnered with documentary filmmaker Morgan Neville to create a short film called Facing Facts. Facing Facts takes viewers inside Facebook headquarters to learn more about the complex challenges the social network is facing. It's a unique opportunity to pull back the curtain and take a critical look at how Facebook is addressing these issues. Get an inside look at Facebook's fight against misinformation. Watch the film at insidefeed.com. <laughs>